Welcome to Finding the Modern Man podcast. Join me, Peter Kiri-Costa, your health and performance expert and self-leadership coach, as myself and my guests discuss and uncover what it means to be a man in today's society, helping you optimize physical, mental, and emotional health in order to create a life with purpose and passion in the changing world that we live in. Welcome back to another episode of Finding the Modern Man podcast. Today, I have a special guest with us, and we're going into a bit of a different platform or area of being a man and different part of society. We're looking at what it's like to be a man or person living with various types of disabilities. I feel that this is an area that really gets misunderstood and not enough concise information about it, not enough person-to-person information about it, like real-life examples. We all know about the NDIS at the moment, and there's various stuff we hear and experience with that. But today, I've got my good friend, John John, with us. Welcome, John. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Pete. It's really, really uh, exciting to be here. I really appreciate the time. Awesome, man. So could you please give the audience a bit of a background? Because obviously on this, we can only just see your shoulders up. Can you please give yep. us a bit about your your background and your life? Yeah, well, I was born in 1981 with in a small country town called Stanthorpe, and the doctor who delivered me and the medical professionals at the time had no idea about this disability called spina bifida and hydrocephalus. And spina bifida, it affects approximately, I believe, one in ten thousand people could could even be uh, more. And as I said, in a small country town in 1981, there was very little knowledge of it. It was 1981 actually happened to be the year of the international year of people with a disability. So uh, that was the year I happened to be born. <laughs> Bit auspicious, I suppose. And so, yeah, I then was transported up to Brisbane. They, the doctor who delivered me noticed a a little black mark on the lumbar part of my spine, which he thought was, he couldn't identify. And so they sent me up to via an ambulance to Brisbane. And within the first day of my life, I was getting surgery to cover over the lesion over my spinal cord. So essentially spina bifida is where the nerves of the spinal cord through the neural tube are exposed. The neural, neural tube doesn't close normally and the nerves are exposed and obviously that creates damage at the level around your spinal cord. Very commonly, probably 90%, I would say, of people with spina bifida also have hydrocephalus. So that is an excess of cerebrospinal fluid in the brain. And that is obviously also the result of the the neurological damage that's caused through the, the exposure of nerves through that lesion of spinal, of spina bifida. So yeah, that's me and I'm now 42. Yeah. And about to move next year into my very first apartment, thanks to the NDIS, which you've already touched on the NDIS. Yeah. They are doing some really great things, which is awesome. I know there are people that take advantage of it. Some of the providers, some of the people accessing it, but there are some great things that the NDIS can help people with. 
And I feel like that's a really uh, underrated thing. So just touching on that part. Yep. What, how are they helping people get into, become more independent? And Oh, in a myriad of ways. Um, before the NDIS, um, my first plan in the NDIS came about in 2017. And prior to that, the rollout was, had occurred in 20, like nationwide, it started to occur around 2013. And my first plan here in Brisbane, obviously in, uh, 26, uh, 2017. And, uh, prior to that, I had zero funded support whatsoever. The disability support services, uh, prior to the NDIS were all state-based, um, and all what they call block funding. So disability organizations throughout the state were funded directly by the, the government. And so they got their, their funding. And that meant that people with disability were quite limited by having to access those specific services that were being funded on a state level by the government. The funding model completely changed and I was turned on its head with the NDIS. And so it became a model of individualized funding where the money came directly to people with disability via their NDIS plan. And so I had a meeting in 2016 with an NDIS planner. I had to highlight what my short, medium and Long-term goals were, I highlighted what the, I guess the most challenging days of my life looked like. So I could paint a picture of the kinds of supports, physical supports that I would be requiring. And it was, it's a, it was a complex meeting and a complex process, but at the end of it, you come out with a plan that provides funding in various categories of that help to boost your access to any organization that will provide say continent supplies or disability specific supplies or domestic support, maybe a cleaner. So I, I now avail myself of a cleaner who comes once a week and helps me do all the things that I personally, physically couldn't do like, you know, washing my floors and, you know, cleaning my bathroom and, you know, sweeping, mopping, all that sort of stuff, putting a fitted sheet on the bed, which is pretty good. <laughs> That's hard enough. At the when, you, when you're in a low seated position, you're really yeah. in that plate to spread that sheet out. And that kind of thing became super apparent to me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I think I need, you know, some support with, with regards yeah. to those sorts of things. So you know, hanging my clothes out on a line and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you reckon like with the mopping, we could like engineer something to go at the back of a wheelchair. So it's kind of like a plow, like a field plow, but a mop. Absolutely. Like that's, right, you should that's engineer the, that. the NDIS is that you could create a business that is an NDIS provider where you could sell stuff like that. So, you know, we should do it. We should there, do there, that. There, there's a, there's a good <laughs> business plan right there. I can't believe we haven't thought of this sooner, <laughs> but jokes aside, what was it like 
for you growing up? Because you touched on the fact that when you were born, the doctor had no idea about spina bifida or 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 hydrocephalus. Mm -hmm. What was it like coming through school? Because like we're talking about when we were kids, when yeah. it's very rare that someone had even an allergy, let alone a disability. 80s and 90s, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was it like coming through then for you? You know, I, I well, I was going to say, I, um, and I'm, I'm super grateful. And I was going to say, I'm very lucky, but I think grateful is the better term because it, it wasn't entirely dependent on luck. It was dependent on what my parents at the time did by way of the advocacy that they would generate in the primary school that I attended at St. Joseph's at Nunda. And it was because of their, their advocacy, their efforts that I was able to attend sort of mainstream primary schooling. I started out in a disability specific school, which provided a bit more physical therapies that was called Montrose. In fact, at the time, you know, it's interesting terminology has changed so much you know, over the years. And at the time, Montrose in the eighties was called, uh, Montrose home for crippled children. Oh God. Yeah. That's what, that's what it was called. Terms, terms like crippled, um, handicap was a term that even is still used in the U S. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, and then obviously there's more derogatory terms that, you know, people apply, but you know, those terms were just kind of, uh, normalized, uh, in that era that that was quite typical of that era. Mm, mm. So, but I do remember my year, I had a year there at Montrose and it was very physical therapy based. And it was also, you know, I had my, my first year of like, I had kindergarten there and oh, no, sorry, I had kindergarten at a mainstream kindergarten. And then I went to Montrose for a year and then I went to St. Joseph's and basically repeated the first year one again. But yeah, again, that was all my years at St. Joseph's, Joseph's were as wonderful as they were primarily through a few different factors. My parents' advocacy for me to participate in mainstream schooling. So they were the only ones that pushed for having a taxi service. Yeah, because the way that the taxi, the way that the Queensland government was providing access to taxis, it was. Yeah. specific to a certain school. And so, right. yeah. And so my parents felt like, well, that's a bit unfair having to restrict me to only going to a certain mm. specific school so I could mm. get access to the taxi. So they pushed and lobbied Catholic education and the Queensland government and helped that helped me to get, you know, the taxi every day to and from home to, to St. Joseph's. And then also the other great thing that about my, my primary schooling, and this is you know, for me personally, I know that other people have different experiences, but I happened to just come through a grade where everyone was super supportive and everyone was like, all of my friends were really supportive, really kind. I would really look forward to going to actually looking forward to going to school because I'd look forward to going to school. Uh, half hour early, uh, because yeah, because my group of friends would play a game of touch footy and just instinctively they would modify the game 
Um, oh, wow. There was no template. There was no, this is how games can be modified to disability. Mm. They just saw me as a friend of theirs and thought, well, we want John to participate. Let's yeah. figure out a way of modifying the game so that John can participate in our every morning game of touch footy. And yeah. so, and I got really, really like invested in that and it was a really great camaraderie and yeah, so I had a really fantastic primary school. Um, so with that, just yeah. on that, it's amazing. I just want to touch on like how kids are so adaptive and you see yes. the nature of human nature where they want to include or they want to get their friends in and they see beyond a wheelchair in your case or for some other kid, it would have been another disability, like family friends of ours down, down in the Riverina in New South Wales. Similar thing. Parents were such advocates for their son that had cerebral palsy and just getting a lot more awareness in the community, really good with him. And the people around, like it shows that, especially early on in life, kids are so, are so accepting. They don't see, they don't care about race or disability, ability, whatever it is, mm -hmm. they're just so accepting. But then there's a certain point in time where, or a certain age or stage of development where that starts to change. And mm -hmm. we start to see whether it's misunderstanding, prejudice, or, you know, just people making assumptions. Because mm -hmm. these kids just... We start to see, we start to recognize and notice superficial differences. Yeah, yeah, which it is superficial because, you know, we've known each other for years. And this is one of the things that I really love about, about this kind of topic as well. You and I bonded on so many similarities yeah. and common grounds. You know, we're both from a Southern Italian background. Parents are similar age. Our dads were both in the police force. Some of our favorite movies music so we've always bonded on these deeper connections and our values our values in life what we want our goals are similar our our um, value system is very similar we've always bonded on this and and this is something i've always really appreciated about our friendship over the years likewise and we've often had these parallels like you and i have spoken on the phone and it's like we'll be going through similar things whether it's a personal issue, a family issue, whatever it is, it's like Spina Bitter has got nothing to do with it. No, no, exactly right. All Our circumstances might be different, but yet the themes of, of the emotional content and the value and the, the values and the themes of what we're going through, we can. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so then like, at what point in time did, did you find there may have been like a change in people's attitude or their, the way they approached you in life. Did you have like a certain part of whether it was schooling or uni where that kind of happened? This is interesting. And this is where, I mean, I'll touch on my, my sort of life now is I, I do quite a lot of work voluntarily reading with primary school age children, you know, ages five to six prep age. And I have, you know, five nieces and nephews. Children are a very, very integral part of my values. And I, I feel that that's probably also informed by the really positive experiences that we've just touched on now about 
the way children related to me and how I now want to create that nurturing, positive set of values in children of that age so mm. that they grow up to become adults that don't have the, those preconceptions that don't see or don't place undue emphasis on official mm -hmm. differences that don't have those, those prejudices. And I found that the time in my life where I felt that those preconceptions, assumptions, prejudices were starting to become impinging on me personally were not at all to do with my friends, like my friends, my age, mm. children, yeah. my age, they were actually to do with some of the teachers in my high school. Yeah. So again, adults who made a series of assumptions about <laughs> my abilities, my capabilities, my yeah whether I would have an, an, a negative effect on other people. Yeah. So I was actually being restricted, say, in, in Shop 8, Metalwork. Yeah. The, oh. the teacher basically said, oh, I can't have John in my class because he will be a danger to, my, to himself and to others. Right. Without, without, well, it was an assumption. It was yeah. an assumption that, because of what he saw of me just being in a wheelchair, well, then therefore I would be completely incapable of handling any of the equipment or being able to do any of the assessments or any of the, the tasks. Whereas the interesting thing, and this is, this ties exactly into even my university and, and my, my work experience and it wasn't all the teachers in, in primary school. A lot, some of the teachers also had a different attitude where they would provide for, provide for my disability. They would mm -hmm. enable me to be on a level playing field to everyone else so that yeah. physical ability to as, as, as wherever possible became a moot point. So yeah. Okay. I, I was given like a uh, no, uh, ability to, um, in high, in high school to take a bit of extra time, take some breaks because with hydrocephalus being a cognitive disability, it affects mm -hmm. the frontal lobes. So it affects, it affects, especially exact what's called executive functioning. So it affects the brain's ability to sequence, plan, time manage and organize. So for me, that meant that with neuroplasticity, we know more about how the brain can learn. And yeah. so my brain is and was, and still is until the end of my days, able to adapt and learn, but it just requires external support and it just requires okay. external adaptation. So I would get my exam papers just blown up a bit more so that there wasn't too many words cluttered on the one sheet of paper, I would get a little extra time so that I could have a five minute 
break every half hour. Things like that, because if you, if you, and if you apply the same standard to every human being, well, then if a, if one human being has different needs to another human being, but you apply the same standards, well, then mm. the human being with different needs will struggle mm. and it will be an undue and unfair unfair kind of struggle because it's a different set of needs that that person has. So it's a, it's, it's just an attitude adjustment of adapting the environment. Mm -hmm. That's all it comes down to is adapting the environment. Actually, very interesting that you mentioned that because I know that there's about eight, 60% of workplace modifications required for people with various disabilities actually cost nothing. Yeah. And then typical costs of when they are needed is only what, around $500 or something? It's like mm. almost not much more than a CCAD, than yeah. repassing a CCAD. Yep. And so like, can you please explain what some of these modifications might be? Because we've got people paying attention to this and listening that, that, that are in either management positions, owners owners of businesses. So like, how can we open their mind to show just what is or isn't required and how they could tap into a whole other workforce, people that actually want to work, which is something we'll get into soon about the benefits in the workplace. But yeah, what are some of these modifications typically that you've seen? Look, um, thank you. I think maybe addressing the elephant in the, in the room is hmm. fears that employers have around employing a person with a disability. One of those fears could be, oh my goodness, there's going to be a huge expense in capital works to, you know, change the design of the building or, and it's not until you actually sit with the person with a disability and actually ask them, what are your specific needs? that you realize that more often than not, it doesn't, it won't ever require major capital works. Um, physical access to a building, if there's a step, yay big, yeah, could just require a very small portable ramp that you can yeah. put there at the beginning of the day. It costs next to nothing. Um, even fashion it yourself, potentially. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, it's a very simple piece. Yeah, exactly. Um, for people maybe with vision impairment, there are assistive technologies these days are remarkable. Mm. You know, our computers and our phones have apps that enlarge text that enable mm. text to speech or yeah, there are a certain set of legislations that are enacted for website design, which are readily available on the internet, really clear and easy for employers to, to look at how their websites are designed so that they can address, say, for example, again, a person with a vision impairment, color contrasts, things like that. So that, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's also good for like, people with uh, dyslexia. Exactly. Dyslexia. Oh, things. Being able exactly. and 
like you mentioned before, with the enlarged text as well. So it's not cluttered. It's more easily, you can separate things easily and yeah. Mm. So continue. Yeah. And the guidelines are, are there readily mm. available they're, they're, and they're, they provide a kind of a roadmap of, of how to, how to set up a, a, a website design that complies with the legislation, but yeah. more than that actually provides the, the access that is equitable across the entire workforce, regardless of ability. And again, that flows into what we can talk about with regards to, if you do have a diverse and equitable workforce that welcomes and, and enables really empowers people with disability, there are so many attributes that people with disabilities bring to the workforce. Can you explain that? It's yeah. Possible. Well, there are so many personal attributes, but also it also even, it also equates to financial for businesses as well. And I think that's something that yeah. is a bit of a misunderstood, unexplored concept for employers mm -hmm. that people with a disability, the changes that may need to go into restructuring a role or that may need to go into providing levels of access, physical yeah. and otherwise, are far outweighed by the enhancement of productivity and mm. the, the reduction in staff turnover. Because a person with a disability, yeah, sorry, you were saying? No, 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 go, go, go. Yeah, a person with a disability. Yeah, I was just saying a person with a disability have a, has a willingness to work. The statistics highlight that people with disabilities are far less likely to take sick days than able-bodied or non-disabled people. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be politically correct on this show. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. You're well, the one with a disability. You can say whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, it, it's interesting, you know, that I think that's something that people, that employers may not quite realize or, or may not understand is that, yeah, uh, a person with a disability is, is much more willing and will take less sick days. There's yeah. a, a strong sense of loyal, a strong sense of responsibility. People with a disability are commonly put into a box and defined by lack and mm -hmm. what people believe they can't do. So yeah. that when people with a disability, when we are given the opportunities to show what we can achieve, what we can do, what we can bring and what we can contribute and how that's valuable and worthwhile. Well, then there's a, a, a much stronger sense of responsibility. Yeah. We're very aware of this is a, a great, you know, our opportunities are a great responsibility. Mm -hmm. to highlight what we can achieve, what we, yeah. what we do, what we can bring to the table. And, you know, we bring resilience in our, from our personal lived experience. Mm -hmm. Well, in my case, 20 odd surgeries and medical um, interventions and hospital stays, it actually, to me, disability provides a lot of gifts 
Yeah. I assume that I would say that it's a curse or you know, there's so many negatives about it, but I actually look yeah. at it from the point of view of I, I am a more resilient person. I am a more adaptable person. I'm a more humorous person. It, it actually, that's something that, that is undervalued is that <laughs> when you go through disability and you talk to anyone with, with disability, there's a dark sense of humor that comes through and yeah. we all need that in life. We all need sense of, a sense of humor and in yeah. terms of like staff morale, having a person with a disability, throwing a few jokes in about their lived experience, it helps to sort of open up the, cha the channels of communication the lines of communication, it helps to, to break the ice and it helps to highlight that, you know, the thing that connects us is, is our values, things like humor. Mm, mm. Resilient. I see quite that. Sorry. I see that a lot as well. All those things that you say, like I see a lot of resilience, just in knowing you for, for a number of years and mm. explaining to me a lot of what you've been through over the years. It's like that you just keep, keep looking at ways to bounce back. You keep looking at other avenues to get past hurdles. Mm -hmm. like you're more willing than most people I've ever come across to look for an answer and find a way instead of just wanting the world to change for you. As a lot of people's attitude gets, mm -hmm. you know, they just want the world to change for them because they have this sense of entitlement that's very common these days in the workplace as well. Like, all those things you were saying about that loyalty, less sick days taken, that's more productive for a workplace. Mm. And I think as well, when you've got that example of someone with, with work ethic, it can really rub off onto other people mm. and put things into a bit of perspective where it's like, come on, Jimmy, John here is way more productive than you. What are you whinging about, dude? <laughs> You're hungover. There's, you don't need a sickie, you know, because like sickies cost Australia $44 billion over that year, over $44 billion a year, just because people can't be asked going to work. Yeah. And this really infuriates me when we've got all of the stats, 4.4 million people in Australia living with a That's disability. 18% right. or one in six people. So if you look, if you yeah, see a room of six people. One has a disability and that can be a, yeah. a hip disability, like a cognitive disability. It could be mm. autism. It could be, um, sensory disorder, or it could be something visible like a wheelchair or a mobility aid. But yeah. one in six people, 18% of Australia, 4.4 million people yeah. have a disability. 2.1 million are working age and there's an untapped market of 1 million or more than a seeking employment. Absolutely. Underemployment is yeah. the issue for people. And over this. the last few years, with everything that's happened in society, most industries are crying out for staff because the people who were working before don't know where they've gone, but a lot of industries are crying out for staff because people just don't want to work or they yeah. only want to work a minimal amount of hours or there are all these reasons and stories about what, yeah. yeah. So why not, if you're listening to this and you're in a position, why not look to tap that market of people that are going to put in the effort that will have work ethic and actually contribute 
and not mm. just think about themselves, but think about the the organization and their role within that rather than just rocking up to get paid. Absolutely. Okay. And what you said before, and I appreciate that you said this about my, myself, the ability to kind of look for, well, how can I solve the struggles that I'm going through? How can I see it from a different perspective? How can I see it from a different mm. lens? All of that stuff is our attributes that people with disabilities bring to workforces and bring to jobs. Yeah. And that's really like in terms of productivity and value to employers, something that is, it's, it's immeasurable because when a person with a disability sees a challenge or a, a problem, we come across challenges and problems in our own day-to-day -day lives. And so we possess a different perspective and, and mm. not just the perspective, but we possess the ability to seek a different perspective, yeah. the actual willingness to seek that perspective and, yeah. and not let those quote unquote problems mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a task, in an assignment, in a job become a, 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 a block, become a brick wall, we find yeah. ways through brick walls, around brick walls, <laughs> yeah. over brick walls. <laughs> um, and as far as like the, what we, I was talking about before with the uh, staff turnover, yeah. it would interest um, employers out there to know that when a person um, has to train up somebody else because of staff turnover, cost mm. to that organization is on average 1.5 times that person's salary. Oh, jeez. Mm -hmm. That's massive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, why wouldn't you want to be looking for someone who has work ethic, that wants to pursue progress. It won't that take as many days. Themselves, wants to contribute, will actually turn up. Mm -hmm. we'll, stick, we'll, stick there, we'll stick there for the long haul. Yeah, yeah. And just on that as well, like you're saying, sticking to the long haul, I'd imagine that, well, I'll just imagine, I know from knowing you, but for many other people living with disabilities out there and to put into perspective for the people listening and watching, that would also give you quite a different perspective of relationships, family life, and what you'd actually bring to the table compared to most other people. So like, tell me how you view, and tell the audience how you view um, relationships, family, and what those, those like gifts that you've acquired mm. through your life experience and how that plays out and you see that playing out. Yeah, well, I guess I touched on how children are a really integral part of my values and I'm very blessed that I've got five beautiful nieces and nephews and yeah, you know, I'm very close specifically, particularly to my sister's two boys, I see them quite a lot and, and am very involved in their life. And because of the nature of my work, I, I have some time that I can put into, I've got a great sort of work-life balance um, where I can invest my energy and my time into what my values are, which is being a role model for my nephews, 
highlighting to them some of those values that I would equally bring to the, say the workforce, but also to my family life and also within my friendship circles, those human qualities of resilience and of humor, of connection, of love, gratitude, very, very, it's very important to me to provide that for, you know, my nephews and, you know, if it's on the cards one day, you know, finding the right person, having children of my own or whether they have children in their life, you know, also being able to share some of those, share what, who I am and what I am and what I feel and what I represent in terms of my values to that, to those relationships. It's very, very important to me. And I'd assume as well that when, when the crap hits the fan in life, which it does in everyone's life, right? We're human. That's going to happen regardless of who you are or what your life circumstances are. I'd imagine as well, when you're, when you're, when you're a person living with some kind of disability, you've gone through the adversity, you've got that resilience, all those qualities you're talking about, when the snap hits the fan in life, you'd actually be a much, a much better person to be in the trenches with. When like life is at a low point, things are going wrong, crap hits the fan, it's like, yeah, man, been through adversity my entire life. Yeah. Again, it's all about that perspective. It's all about training your brain. And I think I've had just a lot of experience really, Mm. and a lot of practice training my brain to see different perspectives because when you're in the midst of adversity, you know, there's that, there's that saying, and none of this is specific to me none of this is is, none of this is to say that you know i've got greater ability to handle shit than anyone else does because we all have fear we all have anxiety we all have to some degree we all have moments where the shit hits the fan or we feel depressed, we feel down, or we have these ambitions that become frustrated by external forces and factors, money and other people's, you know, lack of willingness or whatever it may be. But there's that really great saying about fear, that fear can be fear everything and run or faith. Face everything and rise. Oh, that's a powerful saying, hey. And I love that. Face everything and rise. Because if we can approach our challenges, and our challenges are, there's a duality to challenge. Yeah. Challenge can be aspirational, things that we want to achieve. And my aspirations are no different than anyone's aspirations. Like the, if we, the common 
perspective when it comes to disability is that it's in two camps, the medical model, mm-hmm. being this could happen to you, surgeries, negativity, all that medical issues. Mm-hmm. It's the aspirational. And I think it's wonderful that there are incredible uh, Paralympians that we can aspire to in our society, that there's so many vast majority that are in the middle and that have the same vision, dreams, goals, aspirations, wants, and needs as any other human being. And so in that sense, I'm, you know, got the same goal of going through mainstream schooling, going through university, going mm. to course, you know, having my degree, going to the workforce, you know, hopefully maybe finding the right person, living independently as I will do next year. I've, I bought, I bought an apartment thing uh, with the assistance of the NDIS and, you know, I'll be living independently and, you know, being able to cook for myself, clean for myself, be able to, you know, get from point A to point B to, to get to my social activities, mm-hmm. to support workers, you know, via the NDIS to get to, you know, my place of work, to get to the gym, you know, these are things that we all have to do. And we all, I think maybe some take for granted, you know, that there Absolutely, is, yeah. yeah, that when you've got the opportunity to have work. You've got the opportunity mm. to have a family. You've got the opportunity to have, you know, full access to public buildings. But there are some who don't have those. That have one thing that really bugs the crap out of me, looking at those, those two aspects, one thing that's annoyed me over the years, having, having grown up with, people with special needs around me, I've seen, I've seen a lot of what they go through. My sister was a special ed teacher as well. So I heard a lot through that, my experiences with yourself as a friend. And so, man, it really bugs me that so many people are living, like, they are working and they're working in high paying jobs, but they're, but they're swimming in debt. They're, they're abusing alcohol, drugs, their families. And they're just wasting life and potential and opportunity that a lot of us just don't get or struggle with, whether it's someone with a disability, where there are certain limitations or depending on your socioeconomic background. And, you know, there are, everyone's got their thing. Mm. Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their own challenge. And this is one thing that really bugs me. Some people really fight their entire life just to get ahead get in the workforce and be seen for who they are. And then you've got these people who are just wasting it. Yeah. That really bugs me. And that's part of what, what I want to get across in these episodes and in the podcast is how to change your life, how to inspire people with disabilities to rise, to face everything and rise for the more able-bodied people that are wasting their life and their opportunities and not taking advantage of what they've got rise face it and rise stop facing the fear and running running into the bottle running into whatever your vice may be whatever your escapism is and actually take action on all that and one thing i just love to 
touch on before we start wrapping things up is some of your personal experiences, whether it's been with the workplace or dating and that kind of stuff where you feel people have judged you a certain way and how that's affected you as a man. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I find online dating can be very judgmental. Superficial mm. is, the, is exactly the word I would use. Uh, my, my background is, is as a creative writer. So mm. I know how to compose. I'd like to think I'd like, I know how to compose pretty well-written for a profile that highlights and articulates what I represent, what my values are, you know, that I'm passionate about movies and books and about going to the gym and having amazing Italian food with my friends and, you know, that I, I love culture and I love family. I think I'm very good at representing those sides of myself that I love to sing as well. You've um, got a great voice too. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You can serenade and cook. <laughs> I could do all of that as well. Yeah. Uh, You're a great speaker. It's like, come on. <laughs> men struggle just to speak. Uh, <laughs> speak English clearly, let alone <laughs> write or be creative or bring a lot of these other aspects to the table. So yes, continue. Sorry. No, that's okay. That's all good. Yeah. I just, I find though that, you know, with online dating, it's a function of the dating apps and it's, and it's a function of the technological age, internet age in which we live, that people's attention spans are shorter. People are time, much more time poor. And so won't invest so much time in looking through and reading a profile, a well-written profile. We'll perhaps maybe look at a picture and, and see superficial differences. And I, I'm, I don't say that necessarily to disparage, I can actually understand that because we do live in a, in a world where of a, of, of so many options. And we also live perception in a Perception of, where, perception of options. So perception of options. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is another episode. Um, yeah. Perception sorry, of options. Exactly. It's a good way of putting it. Perception of options. But. With that perception of options that come with a limitless internet and more opportunity socially and within the workforce that we all have, well, that some of us have, there is that perception that, you know, you can maybe bypass or overlook certain physical characteristics that you, you may not feel are right for you. And everyone has preferences. I understand that. And everyone should have preferences. That's human nature. I just, I sometimes do find that the prevalence to make snap decisions, that swipe like, swipe right, swipe left, swipe left culture yeah. is indoctrinated in online dating. And, it, and it's that, I believe it also even taps into like dopamine addiction. Because it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The more times you swipe, the more options perceived options, perceived options. Yeah. On the table. And every time you see a new person, you see a new face, you see a new smile, you see a new um, set of eyes, you see, you know, different body, you know, your brain is getting that stimulus constantly. Mm -hmm. 
And so the same principle applies to, you know, watching TikTok videos, same principle yeah. applies to watching, you know, binge watching TV. So I, I do feel that there isn't, to cut a long story short, drilling down into what a person genuinely represents is not something that online dating advocates. No. No. This does not. Because we've had these conversations where, <laughs> where at times I know, like, whether it's been because, because you're in a wheelchair and people's perceptions or assumptions of that. And then for me in the past, it's been because I was under 5'10, mm. you know, or not earning enough. Or there was, there's always something people can pick on. There's always something people will just be really superficial about. Not everyone. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like it's, it's, it's a really good time to start thinking about broadening our minds and perceptions mm. and looking beyond that superficial level, because at the end of the day, and you touched on this, that everyone just wants to be loved and accepted for who they are, right? And seen for who they are. Absolutely. And it's so like, you've got people out there who know how to handle adversity, that have resilience that are going to be there, whether it's in a relationship or in the workforce, that are going to be there through the hard times and can actually navigate that and bring a lot of clarity, a lot of different perceptions of broader Trust scope. and loyalty as well. Yeah. All these things that come into leading a more meaningful life. And yeah, I feel like I want people to start opening up and looking beyond because there are so many people who are incapable of, of that, who seem to be able, but they're actually not that able in taking care of themselves or keeping their life together. You know, so I'm not going to say incapable. I'm not going to say incapable. I think everyone is capable. I feel that society sometimes puts the blinkers on people though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Being a bit more self-awareness is the key. And so challenging assumptions, challenging preconceptions, challenging stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, We can all look at, you know, a video, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll use personal example in where I go to the gym and where I work. Yeah. People would sometimes say to me, oh, you have a disability, so therefore you must know what other people with disabilities go through. No. Mm. They, the answer to that is no, <laughs> because every human being, regardless of disability or, or not, is their own person. And yeah. so... I'm really blessed and fortunate that where I go to the gym with other people with disabilities, people with neurological, other other neurological conditions, people with degenerative disabilities who won't live a normal lifespan, people who have, you know, missing limbs, uh, amputees, Mm -hmm. uh, vision impairment, all the spectrum of disability. Yeah. I've gotten to know their story. I've gotten to know who they are as, as people, because 
because we all we all have differences. Yeah. But it's finding what connects us that yeah. defines our relationships, whether that be within the workforce or whether that be socially, whether that be in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Finding those connections, seeking specifically, having the awareness to take off the blinkers for a moment, just for a moment, and and think, if I get to know this person, what opportunity will I have to connect with what that person represents, what that person values, what that person contributes? Yeah. yeah. The very common threads that unite all of us yeah that's awesome and i think that's a perfect place just to wrap this up john that is so eloquent and so succinct absolutely loved hearing you speak today thank you very much for bringing your insights i know we could just go on for so long and i'd love to have you back on in the future which we've spoken about before mm. and look at different different things because we've just touched the surface today Oh, absolutely. There are other areas I would love to go into with you in the future, but thank you so much for being here. You know how much I love and appreciate you. Likewise, man, I really do. Thank you. And I hope that people watching and listening got a lot from this. Have a listen to it again. If there are any further questions or things you'd like John and I to, to talk about in the future, Get in touch with me through the websites, the social media, or the podcast channels. Let me know because we'd love to continue this conversation and open people's minds. So thank you once again, and we'll see you next episode. Just a friendly reminder that what we discussed today does not constitute personalized advice. If you're planning on making significant changes to your life, creating a pathway suited to your specific needs and goals is recommended. Also, if you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover on future episodes, please get in touch via social media or through the website. And thank you again, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.